Welcome to Hear Her Sports. I'm looking forward to sharing this week's episode. I'm speaking with Helena Scott, a Rio 2016 Olympian who competed in sailing in the 49er FX, which is a very fast women's high-performance skiff. She's now training and racing in an even faster boat, the Narca 17, one of the few mixed genders events in the Olympics. She has her sights set, realistically I'd say, on Olympic gold in Tokyo 2020. She explains both of the boats while we're talking. She also literally just finished her master's in mechanical engineering at Stanford, where she also earned her undergraduate degree in engineering and was co-captain of the varsity sailing team. Before we get started, I wanted to mention that this week I made a big order of Ali's Bar. Everybody in my household is now eating Ali's Bars on bike rides. They taste good, are moist, easily slide out of their packaging, and the original flavor has nice little bits of chocolate. Order using the promo code HERSPORTS to get 50% off and free shipping at Ali'sBar.com. A-L-L-Y-S-B-A-R.com. And now here's Helena. Hi, good morning. Well, Welcome. I began by asking her if racing in the Olympics lived up to her expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think more than anything, I learned to fall in love with the process. Like it wasn't about, um, it wasn't to me thinking when I think back to the Olympics, I don't just think about um, the experience in Rio de Janeiro itself. Of course, I think about that, but I also think about all of the, um, fun times and all of the challenges leading up to it. Like I just, they're kind of inseparable in my mind and I wouldn't trade that journey for anything. Do you think that that's how most athletes end up feeling or is, is, are your thoughts unusual? Um, hmm. Well, one thing is I know I'm planning to go for it again and train for 2020. And I think for that to be a decision that I want to make, you have to love the process. And I think um, I can kind of picture some people that I know, um, maybe it didn't live up to their expectations for whatever reason. And knowing them and knowing that they didn't necessarily enjoy all of the other aspects that came with it. So when they get to the Olympics, and it's maybe not um, like their specific event didn't go their way, or whatever it was, then I think that can be harder to grapple with. Well, it's such a lot of work. You know, I mean, it's four years of a lot of work. It really is. Um, You make a lot of sacrifices with all the travel, a lot of time away from family and friends, and um, it can definitely stress relationships of all sorts. A lot of people, for very few sports, I would say, is there an actual, like, a real financial upside? You hear a lot about the big sponsorships um, and the big contracts, but the majority of athletes, they are doing it because they love it, and financially, they're just trying to get by. (laughs) And so all of those are sacrifices that uh, make it very hard, much more than just hard workouts and tough competitions. So, Tell me a little bit about what it was like to be competing in the Olympics and, you know, what it's like to arrive there and that kind of stuff. Um, It's a lot of hype, (laughs) I guess, beforehand, you're trying to really start to focus in and like look inward and make sure you're mentally prepared. And then you're just bombarded with interview requests and, you know, people want a lot of things and, and, um, that's great. Like it's exciting because for a lot of the four years, um, there isn't a lot of buzz. And so you're trying to capitalize on that, but you're also trying to make sure that you're not getting distracted. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges 
but it was really fun. Um, we went to Houston and had a send off party at one of the junior sailing national championships. So that was exciting and to meet all the kids and kind of like remember where we started. And then we then went to the, they call it team processing. And so that's where team USA, we get all of our Nike and Ralph Lauren clothes and all those kind of goodies and have meetings about just about what to expect and the logistics of everything. Was that just with the sailing team or was that with everyone? No, um, they stagger it because there are 550 Olympic athletes. And then, of course, there's the Paralympic athletes, but their games is later, so they go later. But they stagger it um, with different sports coming through at different times. So we were there at the same time as some track and field athletes. And I don't really remember who else, but... um, uh, I think the diving team was there just before us. So there's um, there's other sports there as well. Um, and it's a fun time. You're definitely like, wow, this is actually happening. And then you, you get on the plane <laughs> with everyone. And um, so that's a lot of fun. And you show up at the village. Oh, what's the room going to be like? And um, what's the village look like? How's it laid out? All that kind of stuff. So it's really exciting. And for me, it was really symbolic when – we towed our boat over from the other side of Guanabara Bay where we had been training at one of the local um, yacht clubs. We had been training there for several months. And so then finally we're towing our boat across the bay into the Olympic venue. And that's when it starts to set in like, okay, wow, we're not just training anymore. Like now it's time to deliver. Is your boat, how did your boat get there? Um, Am I asking novice type questions? Like how did your boat get there? (laughs) (laughs) yeah we ship them in containers um you can pack several into a 20 or 40 foot container and we ship them down um several months in advance and then um but actually other so for instance the windsurfers or there's another type of boat that's just one person and their boats are supplied um by the olympic committee so um, they show up and they actually get their Olympic equipment there. And there's pros and cons to both. So we had to ship ours in a container to Rio um, several months before the games. Um, and, you know, we just have to plan for that. And, of course, we have to buy our own boat. And we um, absorb that expense. But the ones who are provided, um, it's great for them because it's cheaper. But at the same time, they have a little bit less control over um, a pretty important piece of equipment at right. the biggest event of their lives. So there's pros and cons. <laughs> right, right. So I also understand that when you were in this Olympics, you were racing a 49FX, a 49er FX, and then in the next Olympics, you're going to be racing a different boat. Yeah. Um, Explain a little bit about the difference between the two and, and uh, what caused the change. So there are a lot of differences, but also a lot of similarities, which makes the actually a, a pretty natural transition. So the 49er FX is the women's equivalent to um, the 49er, which is the men's version, and they're both stiff. So that means that they are um, very lightweight, so they can go really fast, and they're a relatively new design, um, very high performance, like very athletically demanding and very quick. Um, and unstable if you don't know how to handle it. And the Rio Games was actually the first um, Olympics to have a skiff for women. 
the men's boat, the 49er, had been in the Olympics since Sydney in 2000. And so finally, 16 years later, um, women were able to race this um, more high-performance boat. So the Rio Games was historical in that regard for us, and it was really exciting to be um, part of the first generation. Um, so my skipper, the girl that I sailed with, she was only 20 years old at the Games, and that means that she had put her um, college career on hold, so she'd only done one semester of college before we started full-time training for the Olympic trials. And so um, in a decision that I completely support, she decided that she wants to focus on her college career sure. um, for the next few years and finish that degree. So I'm all about that, and I, I'm really happy for her. And she also gets to do college sailing, which is a pretty cool experience. So um, that left me... And college sa- sorry to sorry to interrupt, college sailing is so different from regular, I mean, non-college competitive sailing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's very different from Olympic sailing. The race courses are much shorter. The boats are a lot simpler, a lot slower than our boat. So there are a lot of differences. But it's um, also it's yeah. also much more of a team sport where, you know, everybody's everybody's finish really matters. Yeah, exactly. Instead of traveling around the world by yourself like a, you know, a two-man show, it's much more of a team sport and a really cool dynamic. And it's co-ed, um, which is really fun, too. Right, right. Yeah, so that left me thinking, okay, I'm either going to not sail or... I'm going to go for 2020. And for me, um, I was, I've been finishing my master's degree this year, and I just knew that I didn't want to do an Olympic campaign again if I wasn't going to be 100% in and with a realistic shot at winning a medal. So it was kind of like it became an all or nothing for me. Unfortunately, the opportunity came along to sail with a guy, his name is Bora Galari, and he raced at the Rio Olympics as well. And so the boat that he sailed is called the NACA 17, and it's two people. It's a catamaran, um, which means it has two holes, kind of like more of the beach boats that people imagine, <laughs> but it's definitely not a beach boat. <laughs> um, it's still really high performance. So the opportunity came along to, to sail with him, which was a great one. And uh, another exciting change is that the... the just made the boat hydrofluoric, which means that um, it generates so much lift in the water that it ends up lifting out of the water by a few feet. And so that is a lot less drag um, because the boat itself is no longer in the water. And so you can go really fast. Things happen very quickly. Um, it's kind of like basically the future of sailing, like the direction that high-performance sailing is going. So it's really cool to be on the cutting edge. And we're both engineers so we're excited about learning about all these principles and how to make the boat go fast but it's also really different feeling from a 20 year old girl to now a 41 year old man um there are a lot of changes but i'm excited uh one of the things that i noticed watching videos of the two boats is that when you were sailing with paris there's there's something that happens when you're when you're driving and you know you both move across the boat to the other side and you know, it's just, it's like a dance. And I was just wondering, you know, does that happen because you've sailed together for so long? Or does that happen because there's a certain rhythm of that process? And so you're both just doing the same thing that you're supposed to be doing. 
ideally in the maneuvers, we're in sync and we're moving our weight across the boat at the same time. Um, and yeah, really what happens is we've, we've done it so much and Paris. So because I'm in the front of the boat, I'm looking forwards and I can't really see what she's doing, but I, over time, I have a sense of like feeling of how the boat feels throughout the maneuver. And then also Paris can steer according to my movement. So if she senses that I'm a little bit late, then she might slow down the turn a little bit. Right. Um, but ideally we've done it so much that, she knows how I move across the boat. And, um, and so we're basically just making these tiny, like micro adjustments for each other and for whatever the wave is that we're on, or if the wind, like we get a little extra puff of wind or something we might change, but yeah, we've just done it so many times that we have to be really in sync. It's such a beautiful process. Just watching you guys and that boat was, it's quite, it's quite extraordinary. (laughs) Thank you. I think it's also because it's so fast. And as you said, it's in a really aggressive athletic boat. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like you watch the teams at the Olympics and we all make it look pretty easy and straightforward, but we've all just spent so many hours and getting this intuitive sense of how the boat responds to anything we do. Because if you just put the boat in the water... Um, without anyone on it, it'll just flip over. It has a very high center of gravity and it can't support itself. <laughs> um, and so we're constantly balancing. And wow. even between races, you don't really get a break because if you stop paying attention, you can easily flip over. So, yeah, it's quite the, quite the dance. <laughs> yeah. Balancing act. Now, is, is the, are the maneuvers similar in this new boat that you're going to be racing? So that's the cool part is even though I went from sailing on a boat with one hole to two holes, um, their boats look pretty different, but especially now that this new one is hydrofoiling, it also takes the same amount of finesse and balance and agility that I learned and worked on perfecting in the skiff. So I really enjoyed the transition. Um, It's played to a lot of my strengths and a lot of the stuff that I've worked on for the last several years. And, yeah, the maneuvers. So, ideally, we do all of our maneuvers while we're still foiling. And in order to stay foiling, you need to still be very smooth. You need the boat to be going as fast as possible because it's only when it has speed that it generates enough lift for itself to stay foiling. And so, we actually, Bora and I were the first team ever to do a foiling jibe, which means that we complete the jive without ever dropping off of the foils. So that was really exciting. And then next on our list is foiling tacks. <laughs> um, and yeah, eventually we'll be able to do the whole race course without ever coming off of the foils. Wow. Uh, which which would mean dropping down into the water a little bit. Right, right. And so explain a little bit how the boat gets, gets uh, going on the foil. I mean, are you doing anything or is it just a matter of reaching a certain speed? It's A little bit of both. So the boat has these vertical parts that go straight down into the water. But then on those boats, there's only the vertical part. And our boat has this horizontal component at the bottom. So that means it's kind of like an airplane wing, like driving through the water and generating lift. And so that's what lifts the boat up. The horizontal part is under the water? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Um, So it's the ones at the back of the boat are like, 
T-shaped with the vertical part and then the horizontal component at the bottom. So it's like an upside-down T. And then the ones towards the middle of the boat, they're more like L's where there's a horizontal part and then, sorry, a vertical part, and then the horizontal part goes in towards the middle of the boat. But regardless of the shape, it's generating lift, but we need to be going a certain speed in order to um, generate enough lift to pop up. Yeah. How fast? Um, and so we do some things. Oh, um, uh, hard to say exactly, but I think, um, hmm, I think we go at least 10 knots to pop up. Okay. Um, we can start foiling in six and a half knots of breeze upwind and, um, about five knots downwind so we have to generate our own apparent wind to get going fast enough to hydrofoil and so we do some things like move our weight backwards in the boat to you know like an airplane is going to angle itself upwards to take off Mm -hmm. a little bit but first it has to get the speed so that's kind of a similar concept and we power up the sails a little bit but then once we're hydrofoiling and we're going faster then we make them flatter so that there's less drag so there's a lot of engineering concepts happening, and meanwhile you're still being very physical, moving around and pulling on the ropes and everything. And then you add the strategy and the tactics of other boats around you going really fast, and you can imagine how it's pretty full on. <laughs> yeah. How much uh, do you work on strategy, and how much do you work on you know the other aspects of of training? So right now everyone is learning how to sail these new boats. And it was kind of a similar thing last time because it was the first Olympic quad for the women's skiff. And so with boats that are just so challenging to sail, regardless of any other boats around, you focus a lot on your maneuvers and your boat speed first before you're even able to think at all about tactics. But then really the last two years, as you get closer and closer to the competition, when everyone's better at sailing the boats, it became a lot more tactical because people have less of an advantage on the boat speed. So we will debrief um, using videos from our training so that we can watch situations again and and analyze them and think about what we might have been able to do better or anticipate better. But it's really like a, a lot of people describe it as a game of chess. And you're not just racing one other boat at once. We're racing usually about 30 other boats at the same time and so there's there's a lot going on but I think that's one of my favorite things about the sport is that no two races are the same and it looks like total chaos (laughs) yeah um we can't go straight into the wind so we end up having to zigzag um upwind and downwind so we're always doing these kind of 90 degree turns and on collision courses with each other and then We have to go around marks, which are inflatable buoys that are in the water. And so whenever boats are converging to go around those marks, there's a lot going on. And that's where you really have to trust each other, that that the person steering is going to make those split-second decisions and that the person crewing can adapt and keep the boat going fast as necessary. So it's so much teamwork and coordination. It's really cool. Are you involved when you're racing? Are you involved in tactics at all? Or do you sort of 
let him take over or let her take over? Uh, I'm definitely involved. I need to give them, one of my biggest roles is just giving as much input as possible. So notifying them well in advance, like, hey, we have this boat coming. And then sometimes I'll give input on what I think our move is, but other times I'll just provide the info and let them decide what to do with it. It depends on the situation. And then I'm also looking around at the whole race course, trying to find where is the place with the most wind, because that's usually a good thing to go to, or where is there less current, for instance. So there's a lot of factors that we're always trying to take into account. And so it's really nice to have two minds thinking about that instead of just one. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the person steering has to be their decision and especially the split-second decisions where you're coming into the marks with fast boats everywhere. So it's mainly just providing info and making sure that there are no surprises while at the same time being ready for anything um, when, when things get close. And, and how did you end up as a crew member? I mean, I'm assuming that you prefer doing the crew, being the crew and not the skipper. And so how did that happen? And what do you like about being the crew member? Um, it kind of happened at first just because, um, I started sailing a lot later than most people or started racing at least. Um, I didn't start racing until I was 15 and almost everyone else on the Olympic team started racing when they were six or eight years old. So I had a relatively late start, which meant that especially in the more simple boats, the skipper uh, makes a lot more of the decisions, and the crew isn't like doesn't need to be as experienced. And so I started out as a crew, but it's just funny like a lot in the U.S. we we need a lot more women crews, especially for the Olympic boats. So as I grew up, I realized I was a pretty good size for these Olympic boats that needed crews, and so I just decided to stay in that role and and try to be a weapon, <laughs> try to be the best that I could be. And it's definitely hard sometimes the skippers get more credit. Um, they refer to the boats only by the skipper's name, for instance, sometimes. So there's things like that that are annoying. But I really love the role. You're kind of like a psychologist on board, too. You have to keep the skipper confident and relaxed as much as possible. And, um, yeah, I just... I love making the boat go fast, and you don't need to be steering it in order to do that. So right. I, I enjoy being a crew. <laughs> and uh, other than your size, uh, what other strengths do you have for being the crew? I think I am calm under pressure, and that's a really important skill. A lot of skippers get pretty fired up, um, whether that's aggression or nervous, and I'm... I'm pretty good at just staying cool when when the pressure's on, and I think that's really important because if you have both people winding each other up, then that can get out of hand. And so I try to focus, keep the big picture in mind, and focus on the process. And um, psychologically, I think that's an important skill for the crew. I also have I've had to develop it, and especially develop my trust in it that I have a, a good sense of feel for when the boat is going fast and what the boat needs to make it faster so that's something that that I just have developed with a lot of years of 
of practice. Um, I wouldn't say like naturally it totally came to me or anything, but just with so many hours in the boat and really deliberately working on it, I have a really good feel um, for it. And I think the main thing that I'm trying to improve now is my strategy and tactics along with, um, along with fitness because in these boats, you it's pretty hard to be fit enough. You just always have to keep working on it. Yeah, tell me what you do to train. Um, yeah, before um, before this year, so in the lead-up to the last games, I was doing weight training and resistance training about four days a week on top of the sailing, which is five or six days a week. And then we would occasionally do some high-intensity interval cardio. I wasn't doing much long aerobic cardio because um, I was trying to maintain weight and our sailing practices were three to four hours anyway. So that kind of, that box was checked. I also got really into Muay Thai towards the time at the games, which was, it's a martial art. And I enjoyed how much that taught me about balance and core strength and breathing. And then now, um, now that I'm in grad school, I found a CrossFit gym and I've been doing that five days a week and then sailing on most weekends, which involves red-eye flights across the country, unfortunately. But what I like about CrossFit is it's a time and I show up and I do it and it's varied. And it actually translates really well to sailing because it's a very full-body sport and you need the power, for instance, to pull up the sails really fast. That's one of my jobs. Um, and then you also need the high-intensity aerobic fitness because our, our races are only about 25 minutes, but we'll do three a day over, and we'll do that for six days straight. So while I'm, while I'm in one place for a while, I've enjoyed doing the consistency of that and uh, having other people at the gym with me, not, not being at a gym in Europe by myself. <laughs> I had a different gym every couple of weeks, so I've enjoyed it. You're flying to Detroit every weekend? Um, yeah, this month I've been going three times, three weekends. Before that, we were going to Miami a lot while it was colder right. up in Detroit. But Bora, who I sell with, he lives in Detroit, so that's our spring training location. And after that, we'll be in Europe all summer. Yeah, when is your next next race? Our next race, and actually our first race together, is at the end of July. It's the European Championship, okay. um, which is open to all countries, but... That's in Germany. And then we have, we'll be peaking for the World Championships in France in mid-September. And it sounded like a little bit earlier you were, you made it sound like you guys had a four-year plan, sort of first learning how to uh, race the boat and what the boat does and then uh, focus on tactics. So where are you now and what are your goals for these upcoming races? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. We really have to take a step back and think about the big picture. So our first year, especially because we haven't sailed together before, it's about, and it's a new boat. It's about focusing on the boat handling and the boat speed, which is very much like a one boat thing, or you train with two or three other boats to really compare, for instance, different settings on the boat. And we also will be working a lot on our communication because we haven't raced together before. So, how do we talk during the races and who does what role, that kind of thing. And then um, the second year, we'll see what strengths and weaknesses evolve, but 
I think we'll still be focusing a lot on the boat speed aspects. And then this third and final year will be pretty much focusing on the strategy and the tactics and the decisions in each race that really end up making the making the difference. So that's kind of how it evolves. It goes from a focus on ourselves to eventually a focus on the whole race itself. And um, pronounce his name, it's Bora Gulari? Gulari, yeah. So, so you guys definitely have a shot at a medal. Um, yeah, it's... I, I don't want to um, sound ridiculous because we haven't even raced a, um, a regatta before together, but we both were final, like made the Olympic finals in our own disciplines, which is a pretty big step, um, especially for your first Olympics. And it's great to go into an Olympics with with past Olympic experience. So we both have that. And he has been sailing flying boats for over 10 years, which is about as long as anybody on this planet. So he's very experienced in that regard. And he also has been world champion twice in a one-person foiling boat. So those things bode really well for being able to pick up, being able to sail the boat really well. And um, the next really determining thing is how well we can work together. And so far, we've just really been enjoying getting to know each other and everything's been going really well as far as the team dynamic. So I'm optimistic and uh yeah, we'll just see what we can do with our, keep our heads down and work really, really hard. That's exciting. I think it's also exciting that both of you are engineers. I bet that's a common ground and sort of an intelligence to take into the sailing. Yeah, it's a really fun, um, fun to be around and we have really nerdy conversations <laughs> about, about sailing. Um, like all, like every single waking moment, his head is always thinking about something with uh, physics or engineering of the boat, that kind of stuff. So I enjoy that. And we'll, we're both, I would say, perfectionists. And so we'll both need to work on like making sure we're prioritizing the right things. But it's really cool to take such a technical mind to the sport. And I think that'll be a pretty big advantage in, in mastering the new boat. Are you individually doing anything outside of physical training, maybe mental training or meditation or seeing a sports psychologist or anything like that? Um, yeah, we have a sports psychologist um, who um, we talk to each somewhat regularly, not super often, but definitely more before the games. I have been working on meditation. It's it's pretty hard for me, but that means it's probably really good for me. <laughs> I feel the same way. quiet my mind. <laughs> Um, and then there's this thing online called Ramwad, and it's, I think it's like basically yoga for crossfitters, um, but it's a really good way to get some mobility and stretching in, and then it also gives you a chance to work on your breathing, like slow, deep breaths, and, and like some of the poses, you know, you're in a really deep stretch, and that's mentally challenging, so it's kind of like a good way to stop for a second and slow down. And um, a little bit of mental toughness with some good recovery work. So I've been trying to add that to my daily routine. It's hard. You. It sounds like you already have a very full schedule training to add something that, you know, the benefits you know are surely there, but there's no immediate gratification. 
Yeah, it's definitely hard setting aside 20 minutes, but it's kind of like, well, don't we all spend like 20 mindless minutes on Facebook every day? (laughs) So I'm trying to, um, you know, catch myself and uh, realize how many little actually, these little windows of time I can (laughs) condense them. But yeah, it gets hard when I'm flying around. And so mostly just trying to tend to sleep and exercise and all the basic things that are hard when you're a graduate student. Right, right. <laughs> but I only have one more month, so pretty soon I'll be able to fully focus. One more month and then you're done completely? Yeah, my last robot <laughs> is due on May 31st, so um, maybe five more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then I'll graduate in June. And then you'll focus completely for the next, you know, until the Olympics on the sailing. Yeah, for the three years. Yep. That's exciting. Yeah. Is there anything unusual about your preparation or training? Um, hmm. Well, I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is when we have competitions, it's not as if we just show up and, you know, show up at a pool that's, you know, pretty much the same or at a track. Our sport is very geography dependent. And so when we have an event, we really need to learn that specific place. So we have to learn about the current, the wave state. Is it choppy? Is there swell? Is it flat water? What are the, is, are there mountains that affect the wind? Is it really flat land? That's very different. Um, which hemisphere is it in? All of these things um, make every place unique for us as, as racers where the, the ocean or the lake or whatever it is, that's our that's our stadium. And so we end up going places at least a week in advance um, at a minimum. And so it's a cool way to see the world. And I think that's what makes it unusual is we, we have to go to these other places because those are where we're competing. And we really get to know a place on a much like uh, deeper level. It's, it's cool to think that we go to places where people live there their whole lives and maybe they haven't been, even been on the water. And then we go somewhere and, we know it by the water more than we do by the wind. You must be really in tune to water <laughs> and the state and the state of water and climate change. Yeah, definitely. You, from a racing perspective, you learn to look at it like you look at the color of it and that allows you to see and you look at the ripples and you can see where there's more wind or less wind. You learn about how the waves feel on different days or you feel the tide and that's really cool i enjoy that it's it's kind of meditative if you allow it to be and yeah you also see you see the way that humans are affecting this planet that is not good and uh that we all really need to act together to to honestly save it (laughs) yeah once you graduate Will you live in a certain place? Will you sort of be mobile all the time, homeless? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, the last campaign, it was um, a pretty concentrated effort where we only had one full year before the Olympic trials happened. So we were traveling all the time. And I was just going home to Seattle, which was very infrequent. And now I think I will be based in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, for the times, yeah, when I'm not traveling so much. But, for instance, this summer we'll be in Europe for at least 12 weeks straight. So 
until I get back from that, um, that's when I'll start thinking about <laughs> somewhere to rent. But yeah, <laughs> who knows? Um, I'm pretty open and it's nice. I'm not at a stage where a lot is tying me down. So I'll just see what works out best for me. Right. Do you have any tips for young sailors that are would like to race? Yeah. Um, I think my biggest thing is that sailing can be a sport that seems kind of mysterious and intimidating when, when you haven't done it or even when you're starting or even a few years in. And it's easy to look at people who are really good at sailing and think that they have some natural talent that you don't. But I really believe that that you can always improve these kind of things if you're just more conscious of it. Um, uh, whether it's reading the wind, like that's something that you can practice, but no one is actually born with it. Or it's easy to look at people sailing a race and think, oh, wow, like, they did that perfectly. But actually a lot of times you do a race and at, before the start, you don't know what the wind is going to do and you, you can't predict that, but you can make strategical calls that, mean you have a bigger reward versus risk and so it makes you look really smart even though you actually didn't know what was going on but you just kind of make these calculated decisions with high percentages and um over several races those um add up and really go your way were you really calculating in how you learned how to sail and and be competitive i would say i'm maybe more of a calculated than an intuitive sailor. Yeah, Paris is a pretty, who I sailed with last time is a very intuitive sailor. I'm not sure which one Bora is yet. <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to sailing the boat, I'm much more intuitive. Yeah, it's a cool balance to see how people are on different ends of the spectrum. And when you were learning to sail, did you do a lot of reading about uh, wind and tactics and things like that or was it all just based on experience and being on the water um i didn't really do much reading it's at first you just have to spend a lot of time on the water before the olympics i read a little bit more about tactics and strategy articles and a book or two um, and that helps i learn well that way but for instance paris she isn't the kind of person who's going to pick up a book about sailing so it depends on how you learn best and uh, it's also hard when you're sailing all the time. Kind of sometimes you just need to go home and check out and not think about sailing. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's definitely lots of good resources that, and there's so many ways to improve your sailing, if, even if you can't actually get on the water. I also know that you had a, a very major accident, and I was wondering if you had tips for athletes recovering from major injuries or, you know, a setback of any kind? Because it sounded like you remained optimistic and, and hopeful and, you know, bounced back very, very easily. I mean, it probably wasn't as easily <laughs> as, as the articles make it sound, but right. um, um, it was very impressive. I think I usually downplay it <laughs> in, in interviews. It was very hard. Like when it first happened, I, um, it was in France and it was hard to get a real, answer from the doctors about what happened. Um, so that was scary. I did end up recovering what I thought was really fast. It's hard for me to slow down as a person and I'm not used to having, fortunately, I'm not used to having my health, you know, be in my way. What made me determined to get better and get back at it was 
all of a sudden when you can't do something that you love so much, it makes you realize just how much you you need that. And for people that are fortunate to be able to return to their sport, I think for me it was a really eye-opening thing about, wow, I really love this. I actually do really need it. And so I'm going to put more of myself into this than I ever have before. So that made us stronger as a team. And then for people who are unfortunate and they can't return to their sport, I really do think that there are other activities out there that can give people the same feeling. Like a lot of what we love about something that we do is not necessarily like the actual action, but it's the the mentality that it gives us, like being totally immersed in a moment. And there are lots of different ways to do that. And maybe it's being outside in nature. There are also lots of ways to do that. Maybe it's working with a team and doing something like a goal with friends. Then there are also many ways to do that. So I think it helps you identify um, what you love about something. And it was scary for me when we would have races after the accident and we would be in a similar situation to what the accident when I was hit by the other boat, what that happened. But Paris would be, I would be kind of leaning up not trapezing as hard and Paris would still be flat out like sending it and I would look at her and be like oh she wasn't the one who got hurt like how dare she like put us in this situation again like she you know she doesn't get what happened to me and then I realized that that's like not the way you can race if you want to be a competitor you need to be fearless and and just all the time quote-unquote sending it and so having her actually, even though I resented it at first, what she was doing really helps me to overcome it and be like, no, you know, I don't, I'm not going to half, half do this because I'm afraid there, we just have to fully engage. That makes it sound like having a teammate is just awesome. Especially, I mean, I, again, I watched some videos of you guys and it's really amazing to watch, watch those and how well you work together. Thanks. Yeah, it's something that you have to nurture the relationship as much as you, or even way more than you take care of the boat or take care of yourself. You have to really be mindful of the other person, and you can only succeed when both people are really, you know, really happy and in a good state. So it always is something that you always try to improve. Will you be in similar situations in this new boat, or is the sort of the the type of boat will take you out of that? Um, no, we'll be in definitely similar situations, and we'll be going a lot faster, and <laughs> we'll be going <laughs> we'll be higher above the water. So if you get flung, like if you slow down really fast and you um, like your momentum changes, then you you just can get launched. So, yeah, there's definitely the potential for that. And um, we didn't wear helmets very often in in the last boat. But in this boat, we will be going pretty fast and things will happen very quickly with other boats. So helmets will be, <laughs> at least for me, yeah, on, on windy days. It's kind of be like something that's pretty smart. Are you are you afraid or are you aware of your fear or does it not even phase you right now? I have pretty much overcome the fear. Like I don't think it's anything that uh, I don't think it's something I will be able to be completely over because when you break your spine you're like 
naturally going to avoid <laughs> situations. But I do think that it's not really something I, I hardly ever think about it um, when I'm sailing. And I think that's healthy. Like when it first happened, I replayed it over and over and over and over in my head. Like it wouldn't stop. And then with time, now I can barely remember the actual accident and what happened. And I think that's a very healthy, like protective mechanism that, that fortunately my mind was able to use. Well, certainly going forward, you don't want to be hesitant at all. Yeah, exactly. And it's like kind of this paradox where things can be more dangerous if you start slowing down or like do things that other boats don't expect. Right. And so you need to, and maneuvers, for instance, jibes, if you slow down, then the boat kind of loads up and it's going to make the maneuver harder. So there's a lot of things where you're, it's counterintuitive, but by just fully sending it, it's actually safer and usually easier. Well, with your graduation coming up and focusing fully on racing um, with the new skipper and the new boat, what are you most looking forward to? I'm most looking forward to just being really competitive as a team. Like, uh, it's a very, it's a new challenge, but I really believe in the two of us. And so I'm excited to um, kind of not be starting from scratch. Like last time we were really young and it was our first time and we had so much to learn. This time around, I've come in with, you know, a lot of lessons from last time and I'm excited to put those to use and and really challenge myself. Like what I learned about it, what I learned last time is it's as much a journey about like self-discovery and what you're made of as it is about anything else. So I enjoy pushing myself and asking myself the hard questions and seeing how bad I want something and like am I willing to tackle something about myself that's like a little bit hard, but it'll make me better. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. So a few goofy questions. Do you listen to music? And if so, what? Yeah, I do. I love it when I'm working out and um, also when I'm traveling to try to relax. I like I like a lot of the top 40 stuff, to be honest. <laughs> but when I'm tired of that, let's see. I like some classic and alternative rock. I like the chill Jack Johnson and some reggae. And... Yeah, that's, I like a little bit of country. That's pretty new to me, so I'm dabbling. <laughs> Got it. And what's your favorite meal or your favorite recipe? Ooh, I really like fruit, and I really like smoothies, so that's kind of like my go-to. Um, mangoes, bananas, blueberries, strawberries. I love all that stuff. Um, Do you make your own smoothies? Yeah, definitely. Just fruit or other stuff in there? Um, usually protein powder and um, something like pea milk or um, maybe normal milk. Um, depends. What's pea milk? Pea milk is um, like a milk alternative that's made from yellow peas. And, uh, oh, how about that? Yeah, it has a lot of protein and it's um, non-dairy. Yeah, so I also use pea, yellow pea protein powder which is, it makes me feel less bloated than, for instance, a whey protein powder. And yeah, so I'm, I'm trying different things out. I like that. 
Are you careful about post-workout meals or snacks or recovery meals or snacks? Yeah, I need to gain weight for my role. And so I really need to make sure that I'm replenishing everything right afterwards and not giving my body any chance to break itself down. So, yeah, being really diligent about eating right afterwards. And sometimes, like, right before the games or in the lead-up, it was an extra protein shake right before bed kind of thing, even though I wasn't hungry at all. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, just sailing and working out uh, really burns a lot of calories. So just trying to pack those in. And one final question. Do you have a secret indulgence? Ooh, a secret indulgence. Well, there are two things. I love dark chocolate. And I love milk chocolate, too, but it's healthier. Dark chocolate's healthier. Um, (laughs) And then I recently discovered Epsom salt baths, and you can get lavender-scented Epsom salts, which is super relaxing and really good for recovery. And, yeah, it feels like a... It feels really indulgent, but it's also good for recovery. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. Yeah, really excited about this podcast and about what you're doing for women in sports. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for listening. Hey, sign up for the bulletin that I send out every other Thursday. It's filled with lots of excellent information and links to great stuff, including videos and suggestions from guests. Also, a few explanatory links if you want to find out more about the guest sport. Sign up at hearhersports.com. Also, please, please review and rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does make a difference, and it helps other people who are interested in women in sports and female athletes find this podcast. You can find us at hearhersports.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hear Her Sports. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.